When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. the frozen sea podcast uh your davy jones locker room crew talking about the seattle kraken i am sean mallon one of your hosts and i'm joined by sky on air and my name is sky and sean it is a great day for kraken hockey because we are doing this very very close to the end of uh the most recent kraken game which was against the tampa bay lightning which they won in overtime it was a 4-3 final result um it was a very suitably kraken game very dramatic um had an, a great uh pair of well actually more than one uh groupings of players who got to be heroes over the course of the game early on it's uh jaden schwartz and kaylor yamamoto who are trading points back and forth with each other and then the lightning kind of come back and they come back and they come back and we're sitting here going, Oh no, this again. And who should come out of a frustrating game who knows that he's got an eight hour flight from Florida back to Seattle, looking down at his phone going, my God, I'm going to be on the tarmac at the Tampa airport for all of this night and the next night. If I don't get this done now, Jared McCann scoring in overtime, absolutely phenomenal game from beginning to end. Uh, maybe you didn't want it to be in overtime, but I will take the two points. That was a lot of fun, even if it was, uh, you know, a lot of the same issues have been coming up. Uh, what did you think of the game? If you were able to uh, get a good look at it. Well, I think you hand out loser points to Eastern teams at will. It's not a problem as long as you get that second point in overtime. Um, I like the game. I like the fact that the Kraken got a lot of shots. I like the fact that they won the special teams battle. Um, those were the keys to victory. And surprisingly, because they'd never done it before, they managed to find a way to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, even if they almost gave it away. They did, and that means that uh, it took a couple years, but now we are sitting on a milestone. The Seattle Kraken have beaten every NHL team. 
and speaking of this game, uh, they started unbelievably strong. Uh, they started with a shot on goal differential of plus 11. They had 20 shots on goal. That's incredible for a first period. That's incredible. That would be incredible for an, a, a game in general. That's a high, high amount of shots just out of the gate. And they followed up in the uh, second period with 13 shots. And that's huge for them, even if they had trouble down the stretch of holding that lead. Um, they, they managed to keep getting shots on. And that, throughout the last couple of games, has been a tremendous issue. So one of the things, but we'll talk about that later. One thing that I think was important, uh, especially coming out of uh, this game, is that last time when we met you, when we met our dear listener slash reader audience, we uh, we had some negative things to say about some players who uh, have we felt weren't pulling their weight, right? We did. We did. Um, we had, it was early on in the season, we admit, um, but there were just a bunch of players that didn't really have it going on at the, at the time that we were speaking. Uh, several players had not registered a point or at the very least had not registered meaningful points. And since that time, we are now at 10 games played and guys like uh, Jared McCann have turned it back on. Um, Ellie Tolvanen's got his first goal. Jaden Schwartz has been all over the ice. And Matty Beneers, though he hasn't had a goal yet, so we still need him to get on the score sheet. Uh, he puts so much effort in, and he has three major assists, especially in an incredible two-goal performance over the last week. Uh, and even looking here, Brian Dumoulin. Brian Dumoulin, the guy that I think we all just sort of said, all right, I think we're done with this guy. He's good. He's fixed. I think we fixed everybody, don't you think? We did. I think we might owe Dumoulin an apology. But, uh, yeah, everybody that we called out last week turned it around. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure that, you know, two podcasters may, can only affect so much. I believe that this is uh, something that maybe Dave Haxtell had to do a little bit of calling out on his own time. And to his credit, to the team's credit, uh, they didn't beat some tremendously, they didn't beat some no-name teams. Like the Detroit Red Wings are a great team right now. They're a really good team right now. And they went and they went ahead and had a little shootout with them. They had a back and forth contest with them. It was a 5-4 game that they won. And it was uh very <laughs> it was one of those games that was honestly a little on the edge for me. A little uh uh, I was I was feeling like I was about to have a, a bit of an aneurysm watching it because uh, I was watching their overtime and uh, this is something that we can get into later. But the Kraken overtime strategy has to be significantly uh, improved, at least aesthetically. But there was one player that I felt like really, really needed to pick it up more than any who picked it up more than anyone else. That was Matty Veneers, but right behind him was Jordan Eberle. And for most of that OT, I was feeling just so agitated by so many mischances. And then who should come to the Kraken's aid but Mr. Jordan Eberle? Uh, 
it looks like the scoring issue is maybe not 100% fixed, but it's definitely looking like it's starting to work its way back towards uh, what we expect from it. What do you think? Well, I think you said last week that uh, there was going to be some, we were due for some positive regression and we are seeing that now. Now, I don't know that this is a team that wants to run and gun with, with, you know, it's funny putting Detroit in that conversation, but any team, right. They're going to, they're going to win game more games when they control the pace of the game and do their thing on the four check and get up a goal or two and then tighten the screws. I think that and until the Kraken get more top end offensive talent, I think that's a better strategy for long-term success. But those games are fun to watch. Uh, as much as you don't necessarily, you know, I'm sure Haxall's pulling his hair out, but everybody likes cheering for goals. I'm, I'm certainly guilty of it. Oh, I'm, I, I'm guilty here too, man. Um, this, that was a great game. Um, I think, I think the best kind of hockey games are ones where, uh, both teams gets three goals and whatever happens from that point on is, uh, uh, just a, a matter of chance and luck. Um, otherwise, you know, this, this is looking like a much better and much more improved team. So since we're here, since we have so much good news. I think it's time that we hand out some flowers. I think it's time that we do some unambiguous uh, positive discussion points, giving just praising some guys. We do this in our written content all the time, but I want to give them out here on Beneath the Frozen Sea. And tonight I've got so many people that uh, I could, I don't know where to start. Um, I'm going to actually just stare here. And I want you to give me your uh, your pick for your first couple flowers that you want to hang out for this uh, last road trip. Okay, well, this is my guy. I've been talking about Dunn, Vince Dunn, from year one. I thought that he was underutilized in the Kraken's worst year. Although, you know, standings where you ended up, you got Shane right. So, so maybe we forgive them for that since they weren't going to win the cup that year. But mm -hmm. Dunn is just such a consistent player. He performs on both ends of the ice. He's always collecting points. He got, what did he get tonight? Uh, I believe that that is uh, one major assist, and that was on one Jared McCann's goal. And In overtime, uh, right? Yeah. So in overtime. That was the, mo the, the most goal. assist of the night. Three shots, 26 minutes and 45 seconds in ice time. It is... He is one of the top two defensemen on the team. We've got Larson and Alexiak, who many, many people may call them the number one pairing, but I don't know if that's the truth anymore. I think that Vince Dunn has taken that step, and we're lucky to have him. He has potential Norris winner in him in the future, if he can get over being on the West Coast. Oh, I love that. I love that. I hope someone finally gives one of these Ontario writers uh, something to uh, keep them awake just to watch a Kraken game or so maybe on an Eastern conference road trip, who knows? Um, I've got a couple guys that I want to give some flowers to um, the guy. I definitely want to give some uh, credit to is Jaden Schwartz. Jaden Schwartz tonight was a huge part of the offense for the Kraken. He had uh, two, two assists, one on the Dumoulin goal, which kind of proves that uh, he, uh, Brian Dumoulin, <laughs> Uh, even with his uh, defensive 
uh, gaffes here or there can still contribute. And uh, Kaylor Yamamoto, another player who had two uh, two points tonight. This is a good night to have two points. And I think that's a big strength of the Kraken in general is that when they get going, uh, they never get going with just one guy. And that was true in tonight's game. Obviously, uh, Schwartz and uh, and uh, uh, can had some had some great uh, plays here and there. But obviously, I think the last uh, last flower I want to give out for is Jared McCann. Um, he's the leading scorer of the team. I don't know where we'd be without him. He is one of the best, maybe one of the second best found money pickups this organization has ever had in its, you know, very short life, maybe only rivaled by uh, Ellie Tolvin and just falling into their laps for free. That was a free so. That was really good. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Toronto and Pittsburgh, for thank you, on McCann. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having so many smart people just fall asleep at the wheel at all at the wrong time. It, that's hard to do. That's really hard to uh, coordinate everyone falling asleep at the wheel just at that right spot. So you have made uh, Seattle Kraken hockey so much richer for it. So. I'm feeling good about these Kraken right here, but there is one thing I do want to talk about that is maybe a little less, you know, unambiguously positive. Um, and it's the second period slump. Now it didn't happen in tonight's game against the lightning and that's good. I want to see more of this. I want to see them attack the first couple periods kind of the same way that they did in tonight's game. But the reason that this game was kind of an aberration so far is that throughout the last few games, especially the last four, um, they have been absolutely abysmal in the second period. Um, they've had huge first periods. Um, they've either scored one or two goals, and they've you know been right there, right in the middle of it, really putting the other team on the back foot. And then they go to the intermission, and then they come back a much worse team. And that has been the killer of most of these games so far. They have given up. They probably have one of the most gross, not even like worst, just gross uh, second period goal differentials in the league right now. And that's including some pretty grim teams. So, Sean, what do you think is going on here with these second periods where this team that is otherwise very, very good seems to be incapable of uh, coming out for the middle frame, ready to ready to continue the momentum as it goes. Well, if we go right down to hockey basics, the thing that happens for the second period is you have a long change. You're further from your bench. Your defensemen have to time their shift changes like with a lot more accuracy because it's easy to get caught in an odd man rush uh, or give up a breakaway because you have to go from your blue line across the red line to the bench and your your new guy has to hop on and skate back and get back in position. And for the far side of the ace, this is a longer skate. There's more opportunity for error. Now, these are professional players. They've been dealing with this their entire careers. So it's not it's not a reasonable excuse for ongoing problems. But it is reasonable to say that in the first few games of a new season with some 
roster changes. There might not be a perfect sync amongst all the players. Knowing body language or shift length or all those little things. And, and all it takes is your head looking the wrong way when your partner heads off the ice and the puck can be in the back of your net. Yeah. And uh, the Kraken definitely have a uh, very fun tendency to have uh, weird goals scored on them. Uh, the less we say about the uh, game winner in Florida, the better. Um, but anyway, tonight was, uh, was off uh, Dunn's foot and then I'm, not sure if it hit the lightning, but then off of the inside of Grubauer's pad, right? Like it's can't buy a. Can't There's buy something it. about this team and bad bounces that uh, they just seem to attract them for some reason, and they're they do mostly everything right, at least from a systems perspective. And then it's these little bounces here or there. Do you think that it's more like a? It's all just bad bounces at this point, or are is the team coming out into these or as you, is it, as you said, do you feel that it's more execution rather than execution and chemistry rather than like everyone walking up and saying, all right, we will see if score effects gets to uh, gets to figure things out for the uh, other team. Well, I mean, you raise a good point there. The fact that they come out really hard, there could be a letdown. It's difficult to play at the same intensity for 82 minutes. And if you get a lead, in the first, there's there's a subconscious tendency to think, oh, we got this. And we haven't faced a lot of easy teams yet either, so so they probably shouldn't be thinking that. But it's no, subconscious, no, right? That's what makes it tricky. I'm sure when there was three goals scored on the Tampa early, nobody thought there'd be overtime. Yeah, I mean that's been sort of uh, Tampa's mo throughout this peer throughout this early season. They're not tremendously good right now. Um, they've had a number of misfortunes fall upon them, but they are still kind of the lightning. So like you kind of want to put them away before they get the chance to, you know, remind you that they're the lightning. But other than that, um, this is something that, you know, it's an early season. So you might as well figure out now why your second periods fall so flat. And then hopefully you can figure out where, uh, that goes from here, especially as we move into the next 10 set of games. But before we talk about that, um, we want to move down to our dear friends down in uh, Coachella Valley, down out in the desert. So we've been, uh, we're, we're trying to keep up with our uh, dear friends, the Coachella Valley Firebirds. Last I checked, um, it looked like that all of the uh, Canadian uh teams within the or at the very least the farm teams of Can Canadian franchises in the Pacific um, were the leaders in the uh, AHL Pacific Division. Coachella has played very few games uh, in comparison to I think Bakersfield and uh, Calgary have played a combined 10 games so far and the Coache Coachella has played like four. It's it's a very strange schedule the AHL schedule but one man has been going absolutely out of his mind. He is the leading scorer through, uh, let me just get a good look here, five games of the uh, Coachella Valley Firebirds. And it is Shane Wright. Uh, most recently on our Twitter feed, uh, we had a phenomenal, we got to show the phenomenal goal uh, that allowed them to uh, most recently create an overtime win. and. He looked very good. 
he looked very, very, very good for a 19 year old. And I just want to know what you think of dear Shane Wright through, uh, through five games in Coachella. Well, I said it last time and I haven't changed my mind. I think he should be on the big club. The, you know, the better results make it perhaps less likely that there's going to be a shakeup, but they've got somebody like Devin Shore. Devin Shore is not going to do any more than Shane Wright in a, in a long call up. And I think that you can, like, it doesn't matter where you put right. It's going to benefit him now. I don't think he's going to feel, well, he'll feel some pressure, but I don't think he's going to wilt. I think that a lot of players perform like he did in his rookie season. And I think I mentioned last year, Leon Dreisaitl, that when he first started, he didn't look ready. And obviously, he was eventually ready. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my, my feelings on right are bring him up, stick him on the wing if you have to, but get him into NHL games. Um, and like you said last time, we could consider a defenseman as well. Um, we could. Um, I def- This has been an early start for um, a number of uh, half-decent uh, uh, AHL regulars like uh, Kale Fleury and Connor Carrick, but uh, also Riker Evans has been playing very well, uh, given that they've realistically haven't played too many games down there in the uh down in the desert so far. I know one of the games uh, they did have uh, an electrical issue of some form. So maybe that's uh, what's caused the delays in their schedule. But other than that, um, I am willing to be patient with right for right now. Um, One thing I'm very interested in is if we keep going into the season and say um, Tanev continues to be uh, fragile and Brokowski's still out. Um, what's the harm in bringing him up for, let's say this, um, a stretch of home games because their schedule isn't very strong, uh, at least going into the next couple of weeks. Um, we can talk about that later, but you know, this could be a good opportunity for him to say, see what a, see more of what an NHL, uh, power play is like and see more of what an NHL penalty kill is like, because he's been doing a little bit of both on uh, Coachella's roster. So maybe bring him up for a game, see if uh, you can get people uh, excited for this player and see how well he does. He's already under contract. You don't really have to worry about burning uh, a year of ELC and you don't have to send him back to junior anymore. So you're playing with house money. You might as well just try something. Yeah, these are the times in a player's career when you can bring them up and down at will mm-hmm. uh, without worrying about losing them on waivers. And you would lose Shane Wright on waivers, obviously, because of the potential. That's not going to happen for a couple of years and, until he's at that status. So we're clearly in agreement. Give him some ice time in the NHL, see what happens. If he's still not ready, I think we can afford to be patient. Now, you will run out of runway eventually, but... You gotta, you gotta, especially offensive players. I think you have to give them a lot of rope early on. Let them make mistakes, lose games as a result of those mistakes. Even but get them comfortable in NHL so that they can grow. Because you see scoring stacks on itself, right? And so, somebody who's going to get ten points in their first season is going to get, let's see, eighteen their second one and up from there. And mm-hmm. if you can't get that season with 
whatever your first total is, then you're not going to have that next season where it jumps up. And the rare player will, but most won't. Mm-hmm. And all things considered, I also think we didn't, I didn't give him uh, flowers because uh, he didn't really register much of a point here, but Ty Cardia has been very, very good through his, uh, his exposure to NHL ice time. He's ready. He's been ready. And frankly, if I, I think he should just stay on the NHL roster and uh, you can just move on from there. So it wouldn't hurt to see if uh, Shane Wright, uh, just how he's doing. And frankly, there are a bunch of games coming up where you could be, you could afford to make some mistakes, at least in my opinion. Speaking of uh, the Kraken are finally done with this uh, most recent road trip. They took five of a possible eight points. That's pretty good. And now they're coming home. Now, uh, the October, I feel like we can both say was rough, right? Was active, and I don't think everyone's going to say that because of the way the playoffs went. But you weren't going to win. You weren't going to be. I mean, five hundred would have been a dream with that schedule because any any of those teams could be challenging for the cup. Uh, maybe not the Predators, but <laughs> <laughs> well, they're built. They're rebuilding, and I think they have a. Uh, they have they figured out a system and I, I think they've really figured out what they want to be. And uh, that's uh, Islanders West. So they like that. They really like that. So they're going to stick with that. I think uh, speaking of which the first, the next couple bits, the Kraken are on the, are going off and on. Uh, they're going to be at two games home at climate pledge. They're going to start with the Nashville Predators, and then they will play the Calgary Flames. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the Nashville Predators before we uh, get into the Flames. Um, Nashville is going to be a very tough team. They are a team that uh, requires to uh, you to challenge Yusuf Saros, their goaltender, very hard because he is locked in. And if you cannot do that, they're just going to score two goals on you and then just sit on it. Um, what's the thing that this team needs to do to beat a team that is so such a tough nut to crack beyond, uh, you know, getting into the middle, middle and, you know, trying to shrug off checks and whatnot. Uh, what do you think is their big X factor dealing with the uh, Nashville Predators? Well, the Preds, goaltending is what they're built on for sure. But I've seen Saros chase from the net. I mean, being in Edmonton, they, he doesn't do well against McDavid and company. Now, who does? There's no, actually, lots of people do, surprisingly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this year accepted, who does? Um, but you can do that. You can get inside his head. And maybe the fact that the Kraken come out really hard, if they can get lucky and get some bounces to start the game and get a lead, maybe it piles on itself. Okay. Um, I definitely can see that happening. I mean, this is a team that lives on goaltending and back checking, so you can absolutely pile onto them. Now, um, I'm sure this was this is a very uh, a very licking of the chops sort of moment because if you feel like the Kraken have had a rough start, oh my sweet summer children! Uh, right after that, on November fourth, they are once again back at Climate Pledge and they are playing the Calgary. 
Flames. They are 2-6-1. and one. And having watched the Heritage Classic and reminding myself over and over that it's outside, ice outside can be kind of bouncy, um, so the puck doesn't always play nice. Um, I don't know how they ever got to. That team looks like ass. They're bad. They They're look bad. so and bad. Their good players aren't great. Like Kadri, I was not impressed with him. Um, Huberto doesn't look like the guy in Florida who got 100 points. No, he and doesn't. it goes downhill from there, right? The Flames are, you know, they've allowed one fewer goal than the Sharks, who we won't talk about the Kraken's goals against because it's not going to be a massive difference uh, either. There's, but there's a. There, there was they couldn't score for for like a solid week and a half. It doesn't matter. It's it'll be it'll be fine by the end of the month. But yeah, Calgary's a bad team. You need to get two points from every game that you play them this season because that can't be a team you're handing points to if you want to be back in the playoffs. Yeah, like I I've only seen very big very small snippets of it and I again, I'm accepting that Going out of doors means that this is not a perfect uh, encapsulation of what that team is. But, man, that team looks so discombobulated. Yeah, they, I will tell you, you can't – a little bit a little bit of credit for that. But it was sub-zero all week. They, let's face it, people in Edmonton know how to make ice. <laughs> it didn't look like a pond. It looked like a rink. I didn't see people falling in ruts for the most part. It looked like a pretty good ice surface. And certainly Edmonton found a way to put goals past the Flames. I mean, they definitely needed to. Um, they had to drag uh, McDavid out of mothballs to get it to happen here. But we'll talk about that later. Um, we Moving on here, um, things do get slightly better for the Kraken. They uh, face a team that's in... Perhaps similar uh, straights. Um, they're playing after uh, the uh, Calgary Flames, the Arizona Coyotes. Now, I'm sure you've heard plenty about the Coyotes that has absolutely nothing to do with the team itself. All of those things are true, but the team that they have isn't pathetic anymore. They are young. They are extremely uneven, and they give up a ton of goals. But they are, for the first time in, gosh, maybe 10, 15 years, a, an exciting team. Like a genuinely exciting team. They have incredible young talent, guys that a lot of people, I think, slept on over the course of last year. And... Now they're all coming home to roost. They're all blossoming into uh, quality NHL players. What do the Kraken need to do to take on this sort of ragtag, uh, devil-may-care, uh, very high-flying, exciting-for-once-in-a-lifetime uh, Arizona Coyotes in their own arena with uh, a little asterisk because it's also the Arizona State Sun Devils arena? Well, when we talked last week, the Coyotes were riding high. They've lost their last two, so they're in a bit of a rut. They are down to seventh in their division. Um, and as you say, they're a young team. That's going to happen with young teams. The streakiness is, a, is unavoidable. I think that you, 
and we'll see if they're if they're winning or losing by the time they come to town. Or sorry, we go to their town. Um, but this is especially the the veterans on this team. That losing is ingrained. They're used to losing, right? And I think that that's the sort of thing you can use against them. And they do have some young some young talent that are making a difference. I see Logan Cooley's got five assists already on the year. Um, but are they – is anybody talking about them as a postseason team? I don't think that's happening yet. And those discussions are happening about the Kraken. So in theory, we should be the better of the two. I don't disagree. Um, I most when I in my season previews, I mostly constructed uh, let's call it a very specific scenario in which you squeak in as number eight, like you get the second wild card spot and then immediately get trucked. But you know, you've got enough young guys that you can make something happen. I mean, um, I will say that I do feel for. Uh, Coyotes fans as off maligned as they are um, this is something that I think they desperately need because uh, this may or may not actually make or break whether or not they get to stay in Arizona um, but yeah this is going to be uh, an interesting uh, match up especially so early on and then once again the Seattle Kraken on the ninth get to play the Colorado Avalanche. Now, this is a team that is kind of like their old kind of like the old schedule and a team that is still somehow very good. Um this is a team that may have to lose one of its better players as uh for hockey fans uh was able to figure out. Um the, I want to know what you think that the Kraken can do against a team like the Avalanche who were very marked for death after an abysmal playoffs and just uh, seems to have show uh, showed up ready to just destroy everyone in their path. Yeah. They've almost got the same point totals as uh standings point totals as Vegas. They're angry. They're cool. probably angry at the Kraken because the reason for their lackluster playoffs was they got shown the door by none other than Seattle. Um, and uh, there was also a bit of a uh, there, there was also a bit of a uh, a trading of aggressive blows that uh, maybe shouldn't have been uh, done. This was a this there's a lot of bad blood simmering between these two teams. Absolutely, yeah. Kale McCarr, he is going to be booed indefinitely in Seattle unless he one day joins the team. Oh, that would be so wonderful. <laughs> I have I have no way how uh, how on earth they'd figure that out, but that would be so much fun. Uh, but anyway, how do you deal with a team like that? Because they're just they 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 look unstoppable in on most nights. Well, you don't beat them most nights. I think I think that's a, <laughs> you're looking for a split of the season series. Um. Because they are as good as they are. So mm -hmm. if in your loss, if you can take them to overtime, you get that loser point and you, you tuck it away and it helps you in the standings down the road. That's realistic. You know, being being a realist, that's how you approach a team like the Avalanche. And and frankly, even a team like the Oilers, even if they are below the Kraken in the standings. Speaking 
speaking of which um that this will be bringing us through the first uh couple of games of november that brings us to the second weekend of november that is the edmonton oilers that's saturday november 11th now the edmonton oilers are not the edmonton oilers apparently they are uh not very good so to start out um this is accepting of course the fact that they can score at will they still have Connor mcdavid they still have leon dreisaitl um but something's going on there man um and i know that you are a local so could you kindly bring us into this madhouse and explain to us what we're looking at here? Because we were expecting this team to be right there with Vegas. And they're right there with Calgary. <laughs> and that just feels wrong because they play so much better than the Calgary Flames. At least their skaters do. So I want to know what's going on here. Uh, it's the back end. They're, they're bleeding goals against... And, I mean, that's been a problem in Edmonton for a very long time. The reason that there was thoughts that they would be more of a contender this year, well, and last year after the deadline, is because they made trades, right? They took, they sent out a guy, an offensive-minded defenseman like Tyson Berry, and bring in a guy like Ekholm with the idea that the defense stabilizes and then the forwards can still score and you're winning games 6-3 instead of losing 7-6. They have been allowing a lot of goals in a lot of games. And, well, McDavid's been hurt, and so you have to, you have to accept that in the, in the short recent history. But they haven't been able to outscore those problems other than on Sunday night against Calgary. Which I'm sure was uh, well celebrated in the great, great wide north. But that is one of the things that I was very interested in because – uh, Matthias Eichholm is good, like really unambiguously good. Evan Bouchard should have been a revelation, and they're just not. What's going on there? Like, is there just no chemistry going on? Is there like a disconnect, or is the style of hockey just not playing to their strengths? I think that one's going to come, and... You know, I like to clarify that I'm a I'm a Kraken fan in Edmonton, not a Northern mm -hmm. fan. Right, <laughs> the Kraken. Right. But I've seen a lot of Evan Bouchard. I've seen enough now of Ekholm to agree that Ekholm is a very good defender. Bouchard is um, he's producing a lot of offense, mm -hmm. and the you know the balance with those players who are taking offensive chances is sometimes it goes the other way. I think their top pairing is not going to be the problem by the end of the year. I wonder about their depth, both at the top of like on forward and on defense. All right. So given all that we have learned, um, would you not say then that the big thing that the Kraken need to do is just hammer that, uh, test that goaltending and then test that defense? Cause it looks like that's the way to beat them is to just sort of keep up with the skaters and then hope whenever you get the puck that, there that an opening uh forms is that not right and stay out of the penalty box yeah that would be a huge because giving connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl any time to just sort of cook is it's not good no uh, and they, I mean, they haven't been amazing five on five yet this year so if you can 
prevent those power play chances against and you're preventing power play goals against and then you, you, you come down to a one you know a bounce or two and suddenly the games are up for grabs all right so i think that's a good place to uh, sort of blossom outwards uh take a look around at the nhl and take a look around uh the standings themselves uh so far uh after tonight's game the are the kraken uh somehow ended up playing 10 games and are uh, i mean they're okay uh they're they are currently fifth in the pacific division uh they have eight points uh the cutoff so far to get into the uh second and third spots in the pacific right now is 10 or maybe 10 and a half right now because vancouver and la are literally a point apart um and also right above them are the Anaheim Ducks, who are also uh, nursing 10 points. And, of course, atop that list, because they're going to be there for the rest of the season. God, I hate them. I hate them so much. They are the Vegas Golden Knights. They have also never lost a game, at least not one in regulation. Um, This is looking like it's going to be another dogfight. Um, do you, you agree? Do you think this is about... Uh, the Kraken are probably going to rise into uh, a spot or are they just going to be uh, fighting the same group of uh, two teams on the West Coast for uh, an opportunity to get into the playoffs again? It's going to be interesting this year. I think the big mistake that Francis made last year, and he hasn't made many, is not adding something at the deadline. I think if they want a shot at the postseason, they're going to have to be one of the teams that improves the lineup at the deadline because it's going to be very close. The LA Kings are not going to go away. The Canucks maybe will quiet down a bit, but they seem like they're for real. Uh, Anaheim did the best thing they could do for themselves, firing Dallas Eakins. And you're seeing the results on the ice. And the Oilers will climb the standings. The Oilers will be a playoff team. So all of a sudden you're looking at wildcard spots because if it's not Vegas and Edmonton, you're chasing down and there's four other, three other teams. I'm not going to say the flames and sharks. There's three other teams who have a good shot at a playoff spot, whether it be at a wild card or, or third in the Pacific. And looking at the uh, other part of the Western conference, you've got Nashville and Minnesota that are currently nursing eight points as well. I would imagine that the uh, Kraken are probably going to either be fighting uh, Anaheim and Nashville for that uh, first and second wildcard spot probably all year, at least from the way I'm looking at this, because Central doesn't look so good right now. Um, I mean, every team has a win. I can say that that is unambiguously a positive for them. Uh, The Pacific cannot say that right now, but that's because the... uh, the San Jose Sharks are here. Um, they're bad. Um, they're 08 and one through nine games, and uh, I don't think they're ever going to win one. I mean, they might play uh, Chicago a couple times, and maybe they'll come up with something. But they look, they look butt. They don't look good at all. Um, let's move east for a couple minutes. Um, let's take a look and uh, just sort of marvel at a couple of things here. Um, The one thing I do want to marvel at is that a team that has spent so much time, so much money, so much of 
their capital, both the draft and uh, cap, is the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they are three six and zero. Um, what do you do with this? Their goaltending is putrid. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, they most they lost their most recent game on a five on three shorthanded chance where the uh, first power play expired and then the puck just kind of dribbled out to center where the player where the uh, Anaheim player took it and just scored with 11 seconds left in the game. There is a fundamental disconnect in the way that the uh, Penguins are playing hockey right now that is just not working for them and they're kind of burning through games now just losing and losing and losing in the most confusing ways possible where do you start trying to figure this out because uh i can't speaking personally i know that the fenway sports group has no patience for this kind of thing um what do you do with this what happens next well, maybe it's time to accept reality. You mortgage the future and successfully, right? They mm-hmm. they won multiple championships and have had the luxury of having dual superstars on their team for the entirety of their careers just after Lemieux and Yager, uh, which is such a <laughs> such so unfair against City. Such an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> Um, but when you mortgage the future, when you're trading first and second round picks for, for rental players at the deadline in the effort to win those championships, this is the result, the long-term result. And you know that at the time, you make that deal, you got to live with it. I mean, consider at this point, Crosby has something left. Malkin has something left when he's healthy. You could you could move off from your, from your big stars. They, they would have a shot at a championship in a lesser role on one of the other teams as the, if the trade deadlines, anything like the uh, nuclear war it was last year, then you know, there'll be buyers and suddenly you can, you know, reverse that uh, mortgaging of the future by bringing in picks at the deadline and turn the team into something respectable in the long term because it's, it's not unpredictable, uh, but it's also no fun. It is. Um, I definitely think that if we want to see the twilight of Sid and Gino's career, uh, the, uh, that would be Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby here that we're talking about. Um, if we want to see them back in the playoffs, I think they either have to make a huge play for a goaltender, which outside of, I don't know, maybe getting John Gibson, I don't know that uh, the market really supports that for Pittsburgh right now. Be- but I also know that there's as much as it would be the smart thing to do. I don't know if they have an appetite for that kind of thing. Cause those two players, maybe one more so than the other are a huge part of even keeping Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. I think we were closer at one point in history to losing the penguins than we were the coyotes and it was this uh, pickup of Crosby that really revitalized that team. And it would be such a bizarre feeling to move on from a player who has basically been that team for 
pretty much gosh 20 years now like that player is synonymous with pittsburgh and seeing him in another jersey would be uh gosh i don't even want to think about what that would look like um it's up to him too right he's got he's got the decision the final decision on whether or not you were to leave mm -hmm. and so far he has had plenty of opportunity to um to exercise it but so far uh, i think he really likes being there so good for him um i'm not gonna harp on this as a uh let's call it local of uh massachusetts uh boston bruins have yet to lose a game i thought this team was dead i think a bunch of teams thought this team was dead and uh they keep showing up um do we agree that that's annoying <laughs> I, I'm far enough away from Boston. I've never really had a team for them. Um, you know, Marshawn in particular can, you know, he's got a certain charm. I, with you, I thought to myself, you know, uh, Bergeron leaving, that's the, it's the end of the dynasty, right? It's, these things happen. And somehow they're still really good. I mean, they just also just wrapped up a incredible overtime win over the Florida Panthers. Um, that this is a team that will probably decide for a lot of people whether or not Jim Montgomery deserves uh, more coach of the year recognition because he just lost his number one and number two center over the summer. And he has a team that is yet to lose in regulation. And With I mean, each on the lineup. <laughs> Like well, that's not... an impressive thing to me. <laughs> and and just some kid from Guelph that they picked up and turns out he's great. There's truly something about this sport that there's something about Boston sports in general where they just sort of turbocharge the the annoying to the point where they can somehow get results even when you are absolutely certain they're dead. They're like uh they're like they're like the crow where we keep saying, no, this is really real life. You're not, you can't come back. You can't come back. And then we get, you know, plunged into the lake and they just make a burning, burning spoked bee in the middle of uh, Detroit. Anyway, uh, here is something I wanted to bring up. That's fun. Um, I have a question for you. It's a very, it's a quick little question. Uh, who is the current league leader in goals. Oh, see, this is where I should never have deleted Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to tell me because I, I don't have it in front of me. It's a tie right now. Uh, the first one is Alex Debrinkit, local boy for Detroit, who has nine goals. And it looks like he's uh, adjusting well back to being home. And I cannot believe this because my eyes simply refuse to believe it. It is Frank Vetrano of the Anaheim Ducks. Not Zegris, not McTavish, not Terry. It's Frank Vetrano. Some guy who from East Longmeadow, Massachusetts, who was picked up once, has been bouncing around the NHL, and now here he is. Um, admittedly, not every game has played 10 games yet. But still, that's really cool to have a guy no one thought was going to be much of anything because no one really had. I'm not. I don't know where anyone's expectations of the Ducks were, 
um, we have this dude who is neck and neck with Alex Debrinkin. Isn't that fun? It is. Not it's not what I would have uh, predicted. Certainly, <laughs> I, I predicted a turnaround for the Ducks post Eakins, but uh, but yeah, that's a good news story, and you hope that he, you hope they keep going. It's nice. I mean, you know who's going to finish at the top at the end of the season, right? You're going to have the, the usual suspects. Although I wonder how Ovechkin's going to do. It doesn't feel like a forty goal season for him this year. You know, it doesn't. Speaking of, that is one thing I wanted to bring up is the Washington Capitals. So. For those of you who haven't been keeping up with the Washington Capitals, they have no designs on the Stanley Cup this year. They're not built for that. They're solely built to get Alexander Ovechkin over the line as the all-time NHL leading goal scorer. The Washington Capitals uh, are 4-3-1. and one. They've won three straight, so I'll give them that. But to start this season, they were dreadful they were absolutely dreadful they have one of the worst goal differentials of the metropolitan division right now it's right here in front of me it's minus seven and they have 19 goals scored on the year the team with alex ovechkin on their team has that what's going on here well he's only got two and, and there's lots of players with two or fewer goals at this point in the season but you don't expect Ovechkin to be one of them. Again, you talk about looking back 20 years, he's always scoring goals, usually a hat trick, right? In the first week or two of the season, you're like, oh, he's at it again. So, yeah, I think that uh, I think he will get the record. Mm-hmm. I think that he can, the type of player he is, even if his body starts to fail, he can just stand there on one leg on the power play and hammer the puck and eventually get it. 893 um and i want him to do it it's it's exciting that you know an all-time record like that that looked unbeatable could fall in the next couple years you would hope that washington can find some team success at the same time though i'd you'd hope so because i mean looking at this list here there's not much to be There's not much to be proud of here. There's a lot of guys that have been there a while or kind of getting old. And I don't know. They just feel like a team that is slowly curdling and not in a way that's like fun. So I don't know. They're on a three game win streak. That's pretty good. Um, Who knows? Maybe uh, Ovechkin finally starts picking it up because uh, otherwise, I don't think he's getting the. He's going to need to put in a lot more work to break the streak, break the yeah. record now. Yeah, and then you expect a bit of a downward slope in his goal totals, so it's not not totally unpredictable. But you know what? The one thing the Capitals can say to themselves. What can the Capitals say to themselves? Okay. That is true. <laughs> oh God, um, we we've said it a couple times, but man, um. I don't know how uh, San Jose fans are doing this. Um, right now, the strongest willed human beings in the NHL are the San Jose fans who turn on a game knowing with certainty that they are about to watch the San Jose Sharks lose a game. And they have done that with a plum. Uh, they have yet to win a game 
through the first nine games they've played. They have lost eight of them and have lost one in overtime. They have, after almost 10 games, one point. Sean, are we looking at the worst team in NHL history? Well, they got a long way to go to do that. But uh, at this rate, yes, yes. If we're projecting forward one win, sorry, half a win every nine (laughs) games, then yes, they will be the worst team in NHL history. I just, and I'll give them this. They know that they're building for the future. They know that the old guard is gone. Just recently, um, one of the bigger names in their uh, history uh, Joe Thornton retired, and I can assume at some point in the next couple years uh, he's going to get his uh, name and uh, number raved, uh, raised to the be- uh, rafters because you know they're a good. He was a good team, good player, a good. T- he was a part of some great San Jose Sharks teams. Now that I've been able to uh, actually comprehend English, um, j- the, thinking about the Sharks does this to you because I'm looking at their uh, skaters right now. Uh, as a positive, their reclaimer project in Philip Zadina is one of the leaders in goals. That's good. Um, the negative is that he's tied with Fabian Zetterland with two. Every The rest of the roster just looks miserable. Uh, Tomas Hurdle is leading with five points. Anthony DeClaire has a goal. Uh, Luke Kunin looks like he's okay. And William Eklund looks like he's okay. The rest of the team looks so bad. They are impressive. Impressive on how bad they are. And believe it or not, both of their goaltenders are above a 900 in save percentage. So um, I guess the question is, how low can we go? Like, I believe the worst NHL team of all time was still those Washington Capitals from a good long time ago, but I can't be sure. Um, what do you think? Uh, is there Sounds anything right from me, that? It was like, it was like eight wins or something. It was, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, this We're piling on here, but the Sharks individual player plus minus Mikhail Granlund is plus one. Nobody else is a plus on the team. Um, so yeah, um, if you're one of the many people who put on a teal Jersey and walk your way down to SAP center in San Jose, um, I know that I am supposed to, you know, say, Oh, I hope nothing but the bad things in life happen to you and nobody else, but you, but it looks like that's already happening. So the best I can say for you is you are one of the strongest soldiers in the NHL right now, because, uh, you are watching a product that is radioactive. You should probably get tested after you watch a whole San Jose Sharks game. Uh, and one more final thing that I want to talk about that is NHL related is that the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers went out of doors to play the Heritage Classic in Edmonton, Ontario. Um, the Flames showed up in uh uh, overalls and cowboy hats and the Oilers showed up in uh, oil riggers gear. They both looked, it was just so funny wa- watching these guys walk out there in uh, just disgusting weather conditions 
and then watch the uh, Edmonton Oilers just kick them up and down the ice as we talked about. That must have been a great game to watch. Um, I do know someone that was there, um, and it sounded like they had a good time. Um, I did hear that uh, bathroom lines were pretty uh, rough, but I'm just I want to say that uh, hey, if you can get people outside at what what was it in what would that well, how cold was it in uh, Celsius out there that day? It was only about minus three. It was a nice day uh, twenty years ago. <laughs> it was Eighteen to twenty at puck drop. So Heritage Classic wise, this was the the balmiest of weather. Okay. Um, yeah, that facility, the Commonwealth, where the game was played, was built for the 1980 Commonwealth Games, and it there are lineups in the bathrooms. Absolutely. Um, it, it reflects its age, is what you're saying. Yes, it does. And being a CFL stadium, it's not getting an update anytime soon. Uh, can't can't argue there. Um, otherwise, it was a really cool game. Um, I actually really liked the jerseys that both sides wore. Um, I think that the Oilers should probably wear that full time. Uh, for those of you who didn't see it, they um, they kind of deconstructed the logo a little bit. It was an oil drop with a, um, a banner around it that said uh, Edmonton Oilers. And the uh, player's number was in the oil drop. And I thought that was a really cool, uh, really cool look. Um, probably could do without the brown pants, though. Um, I know that that happened. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that 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 comes up so often in. Uh, heritage classics and winter classics is oh we got to do the brown pants because that's all they could wear but some creative liberties like we don't have to do brown gloves every time it's just it looks gross it looks really gross and it didn't go with the jerseys that's the weird thing there was no like streak of blue they were just yeah brown it's just brown it looks not everything's a hit absolutely um i didn't well, I understood the the pregame costumes, uh, and they are very um, typical Calgary Cowboys. <laughs> the oil sands, it's it's all it was all fitting, uh, but I did have a bit of a head shake. I mean, it, it's I, I get the impression that uh, well, I, I imagine that they couldn't quite like find period costume for say what digging through the oil sands used to be like back when uh, people first found it. Cause uh, I don't know if they'd be allowed to wear those. Um, but you know, it's, I, I think it's a cute thing for, you know, put it on social media, show it to the fan, show it to the uh, uh, people up in the studio and, you know, have just having a little fun with it, I guess. Uh, every team does something like that. Um, I know that, uh, New York and New Jersey do do stuff like that. I know that a lot of teams do uh, pre-game uh, fits like that. So it's cute. I just thought that it was, I I, I thought it was goofy looking, especially given that uh, the Flames went outside in uh, minus three weather with uh, overalls and nothing else. A couple of them had shirts on, but yeah. <laughs> Like it was, it was a statement, you know. Calgary made a few <laughs> statements uh, that day, and arguably that was the best one. So, uh, yeah, there were uh, not a whole lot of positive statements for them, but great night for Edmonton. Um, I think if they, uh, I really do want them to keep that jersey, though. I think that would be a phenomenal uh, uh, third jersey to kind of drag out every so often for weekend games or whatever. 
and uh we are gonna have to end on a negative um we well maybe not a negative just a sad because uh the hockey world has been uh dealing and reeling with a tragic death that um occurred in the english ice hockey league uh it was a game against uh, the Sheffield Steelers and the Nottingham Panthers where uh, former NHL player Adam Johnson uh, was uh, cut on his neck by a skate blade. Um, he tried to make his way to the bench. Um, he was losing blood too fast. He fell down. Uh, paramedics tried to do what they could. They got him off the ice. They brought him to the local hospital, but it was too late and he uh, lost his life. Um, we here at beneath the frozen sea and Davy Jones locker room, uh, give our heartfelt and utmost thoughts and our, any grace that can be given to the family of, uh, Adam Johnson, uh, to the Nottingham Panthers and to the Sheffield Steelers. Um, this was an absolutely horrific thing. Um, there is a video of it online do not look it up it's gross um we have had far too many um close call incidences of this in the nhl um and it's all gross it all looks horrific like i don't think you understand in the moment just how scary that actually is um this is probably one of the most gruesome things that can happen to you. And we, there is famous footage of uh, a player some several years ago who just barely made it was just barely capable of uh, uh, surviving something very similar. And um, I think sometimes we get a very blunt and, sometimes unfun reality that uh this is a dangerous game and uh the players who do this are uh extremely brave but um this is also something that could be a little that could be prevented um he was not playing with a uh, neck guard which uh, a lot of players uh have for junior and for uh college and high school level games and then they discard as they go into the pros um the only thing I think we can say other than we hope that the uh, Nottingham Panthers uh, team and the Sheffield Steelers are doing well. And of course, uh, all our uh, thoughts and grace to the Johnson family is if you are a young player or if you are a hobby player, you know, you go to uh, weekend games. If you go to your beer league, please, 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 please just wear a neck guard it's not worth it you are not getting paid to do that please don't put please don't take your life into your own hands for a puck you know is this was a tragedy this was a freak accident but it was preventable so please 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 we are begging you from the bottom of our hearts now just wear all the gear please so uh, with that unfortunate note, uh, with that sad note, uh, I believe that we are done for the evening. Sean, thank you very much 
for coming here to uh, Beneath the Frozen Sea. Uh, you can find us at Beneath the Frozen Sea on anywhere that uh, podcasts are found, as well as at DavyJonesLockerRoom.com, part of the Four Hockey Fans Network. Please go check them out. For Sean Mallon, my name is Sky, and we'd like to say thank you very much for listening. Go Kraken. Go Squids. Go Squids.